So, of course, we've been on this series called Resurrection Stories, and it's uh, been really good to look at the, the Gospels and to look at the stories of what happened after Jesus was resurrected and look at how he interacted with his disciples and with others and how they responded and what they did. And so we're going to continue on today with this series, and uh, the name of the talk tonight is called Life-Giving Friends. Life-giving friends, all right? If you have your Bible, I want you to get it out, and I want you to get a journal and a piece of paper and get ready to write some stuff down and hear the Lord speaking to you maybe more than just my own words, but he's speaking into your life as you read the scripture. John 20 is where we're going to be. John 20. John chapter 20, and we're going to start in verse 19. If you're there, say, yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that when we look into it, light comes into us, into our minds, into our hearts. It challenges us. It teaches us. It trains us. Let it have that effect in us tonight as we look into this life-giving word. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many people have a Facebook page? How many people have a Facebook page? Oh, a lot of you. Okay, so who, who in the room doesn't have a Facebook page? Oh, resistors. We salute you. You are stronger than the rest of us. <laughs> you know, Facebook is such an interesting social dynamic in our culture because, uh, of course, we're talking about Facebook friends and we get you know, a group of people to join our circle and all of that kind of thing. And there's, there's all kinds of stuff that happens on a Facebook page. If you, if you read it, I mean, people argue and fight and there's, there's, it's not just all friendly. It's, it's not Facebook friends, it seems like to me all the time. Um, I, I have a bunch of friends who live in Colorado and every time I say anything about the weather in Austin, it's like, oh, it's a beautiful day in Austin. It's so awesome. And they always, it's like without fail, well, just wait till the summer. <laughs> like, don't be mean. It's just a beautiful day. I'm just talking about the weather. Don't get all upset about the weather. There's something about the Facebook thing that's very clear to all of us, even though they call them friends, they're not actually necessarily friends. Sometimes they are, but some, m- most of the time they're really not. If you look at something like uh, reality television, phew, reality television, what a sad commentary on our culture, right? And of course, you know that almost every reality television show is not reality. It's scripted for the cameras, right? So, so people act in all kinds of crazy and bombastic and stupid ways because the camera's there. Because that's what makes good television. That's really sad. This is, it's because we kind of live in a, a celebrity culture. We live in a culture where there, there, there's this desire to be known. Right? Facebook, reality TV. You, all you got to do is look at uh, American Idol, X Factor, America's Got Talent, I mean, any number of shows where people are trying to get discovered, they're trying to get known, but they really don't, it's not really about people actually knowing them, is it? It's what we, when we see these kinds of things, what we 
what we see is a facade. It's a projection. We're projecting something to others that we want them to know. And that's a problem. Because when you live like that, you can't receive life from other people. It is really difficult to experience resurrection life when you're closed off, when you're isolated. When you worship God with individualism instead of understanding that you're part of a community. We can't manufacture this kind of existence. We have to go deeper when we belong to Christ and when we belong to one another. So I think we see that in the resurrection stories. We see that in Jesus as he shares with his friends the miracle of the resurrection and how they respond to him. And so I want us to go to John chapter 20, and we'll dive into this, and we'll look at this story. Verse 19 says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. I don't know why I do this every time I say, Peace be with you. Peace. <laughs> something about Jesus showing up in a locked room and saying, oh, don't be afraid, it's okay. Verse 20 says, after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Why does he keep saying this? Because they're rattled. They're rattled about resurrection life and what it actually means, what the truth of it is all about. He says, peace be with you again. And then he says these interesting words that you should underline in your Bible. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Now I want you to get this. What you see is Jesus, the way he is acting, the way he has gone through the last three years, the way he reveals himself in resurrection life is what he wants to reproduce in each one of us. He wants resurrection life to come alive in us. And the way he does it is the way he wants us to do it. I know, I know, we are really used to deciding which friends we want and which friends we don't. It's so easy on Facebook, you can just defriend. When Jesus says, as I've been sent by my Father, so I'm going to send you. What, what he's saying, what he's actually saying, if we read between the lines, what he's saying is, is you don't get to pick your own friends. I'm going to send you. And you're going you're gonna to re reveal resurrection life to people. And it won't always be the kind of people you really like. You've got a mission that you're involved in. But it's important to understand that the mission involves friendship. It involves creating a community. There is a formation, a spiritual formation by resurrection life. How does resurrection life happen? Look at what goes on here. He says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Verse 22, and with that, he breathed on them. <sighs> Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive God's Spirit in you. 
It's, one of the, it's what's going to bind you together. It's what's going to encourage you. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Wow. One of the little-known verses in the Bible, not very often read or articulated. We're not going to take time to pull the cap off this, but what I want to cause you to think about in this passage right here is Jesus is giving them responsibility and authority to forgive people. What essentially he's saying is, he says, I want you to be active. I want you to receive the responsibility of working out forgiveness among a community of people. Do you know one of the hardest things we do as a community is to evaluate people's repentance? Ouch! It's difficult, isn't it? It's hard to know if they're really repentant or if they're just going through the motions. Jesus says here, this is your responsibility to figure this out, to walk through this with other people. Responsibility and authority to live in community with one another. That's what he's doing right here. It's not just, essentially what Jesus is saying is it's not just about you and God. It's about you and God and others. So here it is, verse 24. He says, now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. So here's the picture. They're with they're, they're these guys, and they've experienced Jesus. He's come into a room and scared them to death, and it's so awesome. But Thomas hasn't, wasn't there. Thomas is somewhere else. Thomas is, has an appointment. He's changing oil on his donkey. I don't know what he's doing. What is, he, what is he doing? Is he just busy or has maybe he checked out? Has he, has he kind of said, I don't know if I, I don't, I, I don't get this. I don't understand this. I, I don't, I can't quite figure out what's happening. I thought this was the guy who was going to redeem Israel and now he's dead and I don't understand what's happening his friends are trying to convince him, we've seen the Lord. And look what he says. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe it. That's a pretty hardcore statement, isn't it? Thomas is essentially saying, I ain't believing till I see it right in front of my own eyes. There's a, there's a process here that Thomas is in that Jesus wants to rescue him from. But, but Thomas has skepticism. He has doubt. He wants to believe, I think, but he, all these friends, they're walking with him, but he's not afraid. Notice this. He's not afraid to say, I ain't going to believe it. Nope. I don't care what you guys say. Have you ever had a friend like that? I don't care what you say. I don't know what, I don't care what experience you've had. I'm, I ain't believing until it happens to me. Interestingly enough, this is what resurrection life is all about. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with him, with them. 
Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. What is it with the peace and the scaring and the, what is this? He's, he's demonstrating something, something to them. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, I love it. He shows up. Thomas hasn't been, wasn't there the last time, but he shows up again and says, here, Thomas, as if he'd heard it. As if he'd heard the very words of Thomas. He says, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. You should underline that little phrase. Stop doubting and believe. I want you to see that Jesus wanted to share himself. What he went through, what he had experienced, in order for resurrection life to transfer to Thomas. That there is a relational interest, it is a personal interest Jesus has in Thomas. Verse 28 says, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. This is the exclamation point of the resurrection story. Thomas is, you can see him, he sees it, he touches his wounds, and then he falls to his feet and says, my Lord and my God. This is not a casual statement. This is not just, oh, teacher, Great, awesome, good to see you. No, this is a declaration. You are God, you are Lord. Then Jesus said to him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. First big idea I want you to get as we read this resurrection story is resurrection life is revealed in personal relationships. Resurrection life is revealed in personal relationships. We can see in this story, there's a bunch of players. There's a whole bunch of people. Jesus is appearing to his friends and to people that are in need of seeing him. Sometimes we tend to think that Christianity is something that we just believe individually. But I, I don't think that's how it works. Notice... The brilliant writer, Eugene Peterson, here's what he says. He says, friendship is not primarily liking another person. <laughs> you can't just click like. <laughs> it's not primarily liking another person. It is the common reality that we inhabit together. Resurrection life is supposed to be experienced in the context of a group of people. Think of what happened in the disciples' minds. The others who were there the first time Jesus showed up, when he shows up again and Thomas is there and Jesus says the very words that Thomas had said to them. Think of what happened in their minds. Think of what happened as they witnessed that. <gasps> Jesus knows. <laughs> Not only does Jesus know, he's interested He's interested in revealing himself to Thomas in a personal way. They all have this experience together. Real life, resurrection life, is shared in a community, not just in us individually. Jesus has, al has already planted the seeds of this idea in the kingdom of God in John 15, 15. I'll just put it up on the screen. Here's what he said. 
He said to his disciples, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father has told me. Jesus is already sowing these seeds and he's saying, look, the kingdom operates in a different way. It's not like you imagine it where there's a really nice pyramid scheme and people tell you what to do. You're in on it. You know everything I know. I'm going to share it with you. And we're going to understand it together. Think about this. Twice in the resurrection stories, once in Luke and once in John, we see the picture of the Trinity. The Trinity. Why is that important, you say? Well, the Trinity is the illustration of how relational God is. That in his essence, who he is. Notice, Luke chapter 24, verse 49. I'll just put it up on the screen. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. That's what Jesus said after the resurrection. We see it. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why is this important? Because it's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who have existed throughout eternity. And they share with one another. They give to one another. Jesus said, I don't do anything except what the Father tells me to do. The Holy Spirit came and Jesus told us that he was going to remind us of everything Jesus had said. There's this relationship aspect. I want you to see how intensely relational and personal God is. He's relational. Now, why is that significant? Because he wants you to be too. Not just with him but with others. If resurrection life is being passed as he comes out of the tomb and he begins to interact with other people, as you come out of the tomb of your darkness and your past, that resurrection life should spill over into other people's lives. That's the picture that we see. The Apostle Paul, he emphasizes this in the six texts that he uses to describe the resurrection all through his letters, all right? We won't take time to read them now, but Romans 6, 4, Romans 8, 11, Ephesians 2, Philippians 3 is the one exception. We'll read it here in just a second. Colossians, you see all of these places. You know what the Apostle Paul says when he describes these? All of these passages, they indicate when he's describing the resurrection and describing it to these people, he's describing not just individual resurrection, He's describing plural resurrection. When he's using these words, it's plural, it's we, it's us, it's you, plural, and your, plural. There's a community aspect to sharing resurrection life. Here's what he says. Paul, the apostle, says this over and over. He says, we are raised with Christ and with one another. Come on, say it with me. We are raised with Christ and with one another. I know there is a sense to which we talk about a personal relationship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know that those words, personal Lord and Savior, didn't exist before 100 years ago? This is not something that's in the Bible. It's just a phrase that we've used, but we've tended to misuse it 
and create an individualistic view of how Christianity works. If you look at the Old Testament, you see a very communal experience with God. I know we're steeped in American individualism. There's, it's crazy. There was a Newsweek article just a few weeks ago, cover article, that kind of demonstrates this. Here's what it says. Look, check this out. Forget the church. Follow Jesus. Now, I know what he's saying. I read the article. He's saying, he's, he's pointing out all the flaws of the church. He's pointing out all the bad things the church has done over the years. I get it. And there's a huge amount of people who love God, but they don't like his people. Unfortunately, that's not Christianity. The problem is, in order to follow Jesus, you're going to have to embrace a community of people who are imperfect. You can't forget the church and just follow Jesus. There is no such thing as Jesus and me ministries. Christianity cannot be practiced as an isolated, individualized spirituality. It can't be practiced this way. Even in the Old Testament, I'll just bring up a, one story, right? One of many. There's the story of Achan, A-C-H-A-N, the story of Achan. If you want to write that down, you can look it up later. I'm going to do a message sometime called, There's an Achan in My Heart. Because Achan is this guy who, when they conquered the city of Jericho, God said, don't take any of the stuff for yourself. Make sure that you give it all to me. Put it in the tre temple treasury. I want, you, I want you to give everything to me and consecrate it to me. Achan disobeys. Nobody knows it. It's a secret. They, f they have a battle. The next city that they have a battle with, it's called Ai. And they go into Ai and they get their tails whooped. A bunch of people die. And then God, Joshua, who's leading, his pe leading God's people, says, what is going on here? What's happening? And he says, you've disobeyed me. He's like, whoa, whoa I haven't disobeyed you. What are you talking about? They, they go through the process, and tribe by tribe, clan by clan, they, 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 they get down to it, and finally Achan is revealed. One guy. And they say, tell the truth, Achan. And he says, it's true. I took it. I took stuff, and I hid it under my tent. And they went, and they got it, and they took it out of, the, out of it, from under his tent, and they said, he's guilty. Then Achan and his whole family were stoned. Not, but... Really, they died. <laughs> Sorry, we're in Austin. I often feel like I need to make sure people know. So, see, this is why you come to Sunday night. Right here. Here's the thing you got to get. Here's the thing you got to see in the scriptures. There is a community response to God. And we, our actions affect one another. We don't like to think that way, but it's true. You think about it just by the fact that you live in the nation of the United States of America. You are affected by the sins and the actions and the attitudes of others. There's no way around it. 
body of Christ is no different. In fact, it's probably emphasized a little bit more because God is trying to reveal resurrection life. And when we don't embrace it, or when we isolate, or when we choose sin over his plan and his purpose, we don't understand how it affects others because we are steeped in individualism. But make no mistake, it affects other people. It affects our church. It affects the body of Christ in Austin. There's a ripple. If we don't get this, then we kind of just keep going our own way, doing the thing we want to do. We lose accountability. We lose all kinds of we lose all kinds of grace that might be extended if we were to surrender to one another, share our struggles, wrestle through our sinfulness with others. Second big idea I want you to see is resurrection life is revealed in the sharing of our wounds. Jesus comes to Thomas and he invites him. He invites him in to his experience. He invites him in to touch his wounds. There's something about Christ's woundedness. Thomas is healed, in a sense. He is healed of his skepticism and his unbelief by Jesus' willingness to share himself. And if resurrection life is shared this way, then it could be that Jesus would ask us to share our wounds with one another and to see his resurrection power and life come alive when we do that. Let's explore this a little bit. If you've been around church any number of years, you've heard quoted Isaiah 53, 5. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The Apostle Peter writes about this same thing in 1 Peter 2.24. Look what he says. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Notice the resurrection emphasis there. There's a death and there's a, there's a life that appears as a result of the death. And then this phrase, he quotes it, Isaiah 53, by his wounds you have been healed. Jesus' wounds heal our wounds. <laughs> Jesus' wounds have an impact on our wounds. We can be healed of them because he was wounded for us. Christ's broken body brings us healing, and his, his actions after the resurrection give us clues about how this healing begins. All of us want the faith of Thomas, don't we? Don't we want the, the faith of Thomas standing there and seeing Jesus' wounds and scars? And they put his fingers right there in his hand, and then he put his hand on his side where he'd been wounded. 
We want to see that. But here's, here's something I want you to think about. I want you to think about how that happens today. Because Thomas, right, after Thomas said, my Lord and my God, what did Jesus say? What did he say? He said, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are you if you believe even though you haven't seen. Blessed are you if you don't see and yet you still believe. How do we see Christ? How do we experience Christ in his woundedness? Well, here's a little clue. I think we see this all through the scripture. We'll just look at one little passage. 1 John 4, 10 through 13. This says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I want you to notice, we use Jesus as our picture as our, the illustrator of what we are supposed to do. As he lays his life down, so we are to lay our lives down. Num verse 12 says, and this is, this is the key, no one has ever seen God. No one gets to see God. Even Moses, even throughout the whole scripture, no one sees him fully. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. That essentially means he shows up when we love each other. When we're willing to lay our lives down, when we're willing to open up our souls and share it with one another, when we're willing to share pain and sorrow, woundedness, failure, struggle, something begins to happen. I'm not just talking about sitting around and complaining about how bad your life is and how broken you are. I'm not just talking about sitting around and, oh, I'm just so terrible, and my boss, he's so mean to me, and everything's so bad, and my wife, oh my gosh, I just, she doesn't know resurrection life at all. It's awful. It's terrible. That's called whining. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about sharing the most intimate issues of your heart with another person and then recognizing the, re the, the restoration, the revelation, the resurrection, life of Christ showing up in your conversation, showing up as you talk about it, showing up as you share your history. What Jesus did inside of you is you share that with them, their wounds, you share your wounds with theirs and suddenly Christ is revealed. Intimacy, community, connectedness. We're not, we're not comfortable with these words in the American church. We want people to think we're okay. We don't want people to know how messed up it is on the inside. But can I just tell you that there's no way for you to experience healing and resurrection power by being isolated. You have to open up. I'll finish this passage, verse 13 says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. What we're doing when we share together is we're tapping into the life-giving spirit that lives inside of us. My brother, my sister, I know how hard this is. Let me share with you my story. Share with me your story and let's believe for resurrection power to show up. We're not talking about counseling. I, know, you, I don't know if you know this, but the statistics about 
counselors speaking into the life of a person if it's you know if it's not some abusive situation that needs to be really with skill and precision marked out but just in general life the woundedness that we all experience the tr the difficulty and the tragedy the people who have good friends who they sit and talk with the statistics are even with those who sit and talk to a counselor somebody they have no idea and they pay them hundreds of dollars <laughs> the statistics on people who get better are virtually the same People just need good friends. But we've become isolated, segmented in our society, so we don't sit around and talk. We don't sit around and share our lives. We don't sit around and open up. I don't have time for that. You know how busy I am? <laughs> I got work to do. I got money to make. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem. I don't know how we're supposed to fix it. Because we're, what we're doing is we're fighting against. There's a countercultural element to resurrection life that we're all going to have to deal with, struggle with. Now some people, they just, they kind of want the resurrection power without any of the wounds or death. <laughs> Paul the Apostle talked about it in Philippians 3 verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation or the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. He says, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. We want the resurrection power without the fellowship of sharing in the suffering. I want to challenge you that there is no resurrection life without death. There's no life that comes into you unless you're willing to die to your own will, to your own flesh, to your own nature, to even the, the past and the hurts and the wounds, being willing to give those up. There's got to be a death to that for life to come in. But I think it's also important to understand that resurrection life does not mean we escape suffering. When we talk about resurrection life, we're not talking about living a life of ultimate victory and triumph and we never have a problem and we never have any issues. That's ridiculous. We live in the, we live in the world. In fact, Jesus said it very clearly. So I think it's John 16, 33. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But then he said, be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. There's an overcoming aspect of what happens. Resurrection life does not mean we escape suffering in this world. It means Jesus joins us in it. He shares his wounds with us. We begin to understand. He understands what we're going through and gives us power to overcome. Do you get that? Do you see that? It's so obvious that there's so much pain and sin and suffering in the world. Resurrection life is about Jesus joining people in that pain. You, as the, the body of Christ, joining other people in their pain, holding them, walking with them, willing to share your life, and then watch Jesus do his work to overcome. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's supernatural. Resurrection life is not about escaping death, but conquering it. 
We're not trying to escape something. Death is all around us. What Christ does with resurrection is he conquers it and we stare it in the face and we live his life with one another, in the face of one another, in our experience together. We become willing, think about this, we become willing to enter the life of another person and share our history and our experience and our wounds with them. As his body, this sharing together contributes to the healing of others. Jesus is there in the midst of that. Doubters, skeptics, the struggling, discouraged, disappointed, the violated, the abused. Aren't we all candidates for resurrection life? I mean, isn't, is, there, is there no one who doesn't need this life? No, everyone needs it. Everyone carries this baggage, this struggle. We're all candidates for life to be shared. And here's the bottom line, church. We have to decide if we're okay with this kind of messy Christianity. It's not neat and tidy. We can't just put it in a little box and take it home with us and our pet Jesus. Oh, I got some resurrection life. It's right over there in that box. Just go open it up. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, not, that's not what this is. It's about experiencing one another's life together and experiencing his life in the midst of it. And when that happens, there's a miracle. We all have to settle that we're okay with one chapel being more like a hospital than a health club. I didn't come to Austin to create a health club for Christians. I didn't, I, I'm not interested in that uh, Sunday to Sunday thing. We only become a real church if we're willing to live like the resurrected Christ. The power is in us, but we're willing to share our wounds. We're willing to share with one another. We're willing to share with those who are struggling, who are doubting, who are skeptical. We're willing to do this kind of thing. We're willing to walk with them through their journey. That's what I want us to be. I think that's what Jesus wants us to be. Close your eyes and bow your heads, and I want you just to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. <clears throat> where, can you where can you see in your life that you've been isolated and you've become alienated from others? Is there something the Holy Spirit might speak to you? Could it be that uh, there's a, a realization even tonight as you've listened to this message and you've gone through the worship that you don't have the kind of personal relationship with Christ and you don't feel like you belong to a community? I want to ask you if you might be willing to surrender all tonight and make a new commitment to these ideals. But not just to the ideals, but to the person and to the people. Maybe it's been a long time since you've uh, been part of a community like this. Maybe it's been a long time since you've been to church 
and you realize God is calling you back, I want you to respond to him tonight. So I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward. I just want you to have an opportunity to say, Pastor, please pray for me. I want to commit my life. I want to renew this thing in my life that I, I'm missing. And so if that's you, if that describes you in any way, don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Just shoot your hand up in the air right now. Anybody? Yep, I see you over here. Anybody else? Yeah, I see you, brother. Anybody else? It sounds inviting, doesn't it? I see you down here in the front. I, there's, a, there's a safety, there's a security, there's a sense of love and grace that you want to be part of. Anybody else want to say yes to Jesus? Come on, everybody across the room, let's pray this prayer together with me. Just repeat these words, not because they're mystical or in any way just the right words, but mix the faith of your heart with what we're about to pray. Everybody join me across the room. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who took my sin upon him. Forgive me for my failures, for my foolishness. I want you to make me into a new person. I want to give my life to you and I want to share life with others. Help me, Jesus, to be open, to surrender to you, and to be vulnerable with others. Let your resurrection life appear to me. I receive you tonight. I choose to follow you all the days of my life. Now, Father, I pray for every person that prayed this prayer that you would respond to them, that you give them courage to share this experience and this commitment with someone else, that you would speak to them as they go from this place, but they would not just be alone and isolated. Would you, would you help them? to share their lives and their journey with others. Help others to walk with them. Father, would you seal the work you're doing in each of our hearts to belong to a community of life. We love you and thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.